Beyond the, he- Beyond the Headlines. This is World Insight. Hello and welcome to World Insight. CIIE, China International Import Expo, is a spectacular event. Chinese President Xi Jinping, in a letter to the event, pledged that China will advance high standard opening up. China is for economic globalization, inclusive, balanced, and beneficial to all. This year, more than 3,400 exhibitors from 154 countries, regions, and international organizations are participating in the expo. Among them, a large U.S. agricultural delegation, China and U.S. agricultural cooperation, is a field ripe to seek mutual benefits. China's import of U.S. agricultural products have been on the rise for the four years in a row. For the first time, the U.S. Department of Agriculture leads a delegation of U.S. agricultural companies to attend this time. According to data from the U.S. Department of Agriculture, China is the biggest buyer of American soybeans. Stan Bourne, chair of the U.S. Soybean Export Council, knows this all too well. He told me as a businessman, he is adamant in continued cooperation with China. Stan, it's good to see you. Good to see you. Yeah. So tell me more about uh, your meetings with the Chinese counterparts. Oh, this has been a, a great several days here, both in Beijing and Shanghai. Uh-huh. Uh, we've been very blessed to have the opportunity to meet with some of our government partners, uh, like Mofcom and also with Mara. Yeah. And we've been so warmly received. And uh, it was interesting that the, the tone of our meetings was uh, both positive and jovial, uh-huh. and we're, and it was forward-looking. You oh, know, that's we, wonderful. Uh, I know this is your first time at CIIE. Indeed, it is for me, but uh-huh. uh, soy has been here for each and every CIIE. That's very true. So, uh, at your booth, what can we expect? Well, I think you can first expect a warm reception and uh, and, a, and a tone of partnership yeah. uh, with everybody that we'll work with. So we certainly will be telling about some of the things that we have going forward uh, with like certified soy, uh, with our SSAP certification mm-hmm. we're excited about, uh, green agriculture, and, and more. What do you think agriculture and soil are likely to play a role in laying the foundation of a window opportunity between China and U.S.? Yeah, so I think uh, you're right in the point that there's a great window of opportunity. I think that the seas are, uh, are shifting. Uh, and uh, soy has a, a great opportunity. We've been here very long. We've demonstrated our commitment yeah. uh, to China, and we're going to continue to move forward and look for ways to accelerate and collaborate uh, for our mutual benefit. Is D-Link the way to go or not? From our government officials, uh, they've been very clear that it's not about uh, D-Linking, it's about de-risking. Uh, and uh, unfortunately, those things are above my pay grade. I'm just focused on producing food and working with uh, China to help ensure good food security. Mm, that's good to see you. So what are you going to do in Shanghai and having some fun? Oh, well, we're going to have fun at the show uh, and we're looking forward actually to a uh, boat cruise down the uh, Hongpu uh-huh. uh, along the Don tonight. So, wow. Uh, that's, uh, I'm looking forward to that. Oh, that's cool. Okay. <laughs> thank you so much. All right. Awesome. Thank you. All right. CIIE is an opportunity for companies to connect their global supply chains with the Chinese consumers. Five-time CIIE exhibitor Cargill makes its sixth appearance. 
This time, one of the world's largest food processors and transporters, it knows the significance of efficiency when the world is challenged by food security. I caught up with its Asia-Pacific president, who has been working with China for more than two decades. He said Chinese consumers want good quality products. Robert, I know you got great beef to serve. This time I see it. We do. Uh, we, uh... Actually, we brought back our beef because our beef was here and for the first and the second CIE. Uh -huh. And now by popular demand, uh, we're back with U.S. beef. Our chefs will be preparing uh, the, the cuts and, uh, and cooking it uh, a few times a day. What is the best way you cook with the beef? Uh, the best for me is on the grill. <laughs> <laughs> me too. <laughs> medium, medium cooked on yes, the grill. Yes, yes, indeed. Okay, on that. <laughs> <All right. laughs> Having said that, there's so much interaction with China, United States on agriculture and some of the other areas you see at CIIE. Yes. Exciting, isn't it? I, I think it's very exciting. I, I see people very committed to trade, mm -hmm. and I think uh, we need a, a, a healthy trade system. Yes. Uh, and I think the CIE plays to that. So you want predictability as a business leader? We want predictability as much as possible, <laughs> but in the world today, it's, I would say that's being a little bit more challenged. Yeah, leading up to APEC, uh, many believe there can be more direct interactions between the two countries. So many business leaders will also be there. From your side, what are your expectations or what do you hope they can do? Well, I, I would just say, I think uh, when I put in perspective of ag and trade mm -hmm. and, and ag and food, that we continue to the dialogue, we continue to have open, healthy trade, yeah. uh, and then uh, you know we work on sustainability together because mm. it's not a question of one company or one country; yeah. it's a global system. Indeed, and I think food and ag can lead the way. They can help them to also start and continue the dialogue. Yeah, exactly. That's a great base to, because everyone wins. You know, yeah. we, we're here about win-win. This is a win-win. Indeed. Always go back to the food. The food will tell us all the wisdom of the world. <laughs> Robert, good to see you. Same here. Coming to you from the ongoing CIIE, the world's largest import expo. Still to come, inflation, debt, and slowing global GDP growth. We speak to Secretary General of the UN Conference on Trade and Development to find out how CIIE and other events can provide better platforms to solve some of these current challenges. Beyond the, Beyond the Headlines, this is World Insight. Welcome back. This is World Insight with me, Tianwei. The global economy is at a crossroad, where widening inequality, rising inflation, and mounting debt crisis are casting shadow on the future. Only 15% of the UN Sustainable Development Goals, or SDGs, are on track, and the global GDP growth has slowed to 2.4% this year. Rebecca Greenspan, Secretary General of the United Nations Conference on Trade and Development, or UNCTAD, is a longtime supporter of CIIE because she believes platforms like this can provide momentum for cooperation for key developing countries. One of the things we're looking at today is how can development still happen amid very complex circumstances today? What is your take? I think that the, the first thing that we have learned is that there is not one path for development. Mm -hmm. There are different paths for development that depends on each country's circumstances. Mm -hmm. So it's very important to understand that there is no one-size-fits-all type of agenda for the countries. The countries have to find their own path. 
for development. But at the same time, we have learned that they are international conditions that are more conducive to development than others. And in a way, that's what we need to get right. What we need to get right is the international system to really support the countries in their development path. And unfortunately, I have to say that right now, what we are seeing is very difficult conditions for developing countries. Trade is not very dynamic right now. It's even, you know, a growing slower than international GDP. Before, we had trade being a very dynamic engine of growth for developing countries. We see investment that has not recovered since the 2008 financial crisis. So investment is not flowing towards the developing world. So if you don't have trade and you don't have investment, you have a problem. Right. And so that's why we call on the international financial system to really look at their models, to try to scale up their support to developing countries so we can outgrow the problems that we have today so they can really invest in the development for the future. Now, CIIE, which you are participating, and also the Hongqiao Forum, which is a platform of ideas and, how shall we say, a platform for people to come together for consensus about action plans. Mm -hmm. How do you see these kind of platforms could help us to speed up the adjustment and also the new ideas for development? In terms of the CIIE, I, I am very fond of this, of this forum. You're a long-time supporter. Yes, a long-time supporter. And I have participated virtually yeah, <laughs> many <indeed>. times <laughs> in the forum. Uh, there are two things that I like very much. First of all, that it tries to bring small and medium-sized enterprises. That is very important for the developing world. And second, that I see pavilions and participation from the least developed countries that are the most vulnerable countries in the world. So it's really, you know, I think that CIIE is really a very dynamic platform where you can get partnerships, connections, interact. The private sector and the public sector, they can interact and connect each other to find investment and trade opportunities. Mm -hmm. And I think that is really a very established and robust platform. Mm -hmm. With respect to the Hongqiao Forum, the thing is innovation. <laughs> yes, it's to bring new ideas. And to bring new ideas from all the world, from a multicultural space. Mm -hmm. And so you can see things that are very diverse. Mm -hmm. And the thing is that when you get that together, you can also think about the scaling up of the ideas, mm -hmm. the uh, taking advantage of what is happening in other cultures, in your own economy and your own reality. Mm -hmm. So both are really very well thought, very robust spaces for exchanges 
and for the connection that we need for trade and investment. We also see the CIIE is not only about uh, exporting, yes. it's one of the largest events in the world about importing. Yes. Uh, China playing a role trying to be uh, a platform for all traders to come together. It's, it's very important what you say because it's not only an export, it's import-export. And for many of the least developed countries or, or the medium and small size enterprises, you know, to have access to the Chinese market is not something that they can do alone in their country. So to be able to come here and to make the connections here and to open the opportunities and the window of opportunities for the Chinese market, you know, for these most vulnerable countries and more a, a medium and small size enterprises is key. Yeah. So it's really a very generous offer. Yeah, I know you're visiting some of the pavilions and meeting yes. some of the people from different parts of the world. Yeah. I am really looking forward. Yeah. <laughs> I'm really looking forward, right. yes. Talking about development, you know, we are seeing hotspot issues having tremendous impact on development, such as in the Middle East right now. So how do you see your organization can holding high the banner of development amid all these complexities? Yeah, you know, it's such an important uh, question because uh, when, when I came to, to ANCTAD, very soon we had the war in Ukraine and the problem of the disruption of trade in the Black Sea. And the Black Sea is so important for food security. And you know, one of the things that ANCTAD did very soon after the war started, we came up with an analysis of how it was impacting the developing countries. Because everybody was concentrating around the war area. But what we were able to do is to bring the voice of the developing countries in how they were affected by the war even far away. And that was, we made a vulnerability profile of the developing countries. We raised awareness of the impact on food prices and food security and how it was impacting also energy and finance in the developing world. And then the Secretary General came up with the idea of the crisis, the Global Crisis Response Group, precisely ask us uh, and ask myself to coordinate the working groups on food and fertilizers, on energy and on finance. And we were able to bring awareness to support countries to mobilize the country teams of the UN to prepare for a difficult period, especially on, on food insecurity, but also in the other dimensions. Now, let me say that if there is something that we learn from China, is that the short and the long term, on, in the long term, start at the same time. Mm. <laughs> you know, you have to think, you have to have a vision mm. for development. And at the same time, you have to support countries in the immediate impact of the dynamic that the international economy and the international politics brings to their, uh, to their national reality, yes? So on, on first, I think that there is an important call from the UN system 
to the international financial architecture to be fit for purpose in moments like this. We need liquidity, we need investment, we need to be able to react quickly to support countries in what we call a world of cascading crisis. Mm -hmm. At the same time, you said the SDGs is the long-term perspective, is the only call for solidarity and cooperation in the world. And uh, unfortunately, I have to say that the numbers are that we are only on track for the 2030 agenda in 15% of the SDGs. So we need to do much more because if not, we will fail. So how do you see you know, the emphasis on infrastructure, the emphasis on cooperation? Mm -hmm. uh, how do you see these efforts coming from the developing countries? Oh, I think that is, uh, is key. <laughs> and, and you know, the emphasis in infrastructure of the Belt and Road Initiative, for example, from China has proven because, you know, underinvestment in the developing countries is one of the main problems for growth, for productivity, for diversification of the productive structure. So infrastructure is key for any you know, path for dynamic development. And uh, uh, we, we have always called for this underinvestment problem to be addressed. How do you see the nature of cooperation among these economies? What are some of the areas of cooperation you want to foster so that we can deal with two front lines? Yes. One is the you know, emergency, the other is long-term development. Yes. Well, I think that the, for the emergencies, we need to have the right instruments at the international level for humanitarian and for development. And these two things are together because if we don't invest in a resilient path, we will be always, you know, very vulnerable to all the emergencies. And so it's a, it's a vicious cycle. The other thing is cooperation. Look, we are in a transition in the world from what we call hyperglobalization, the time of hyperglobalization that we think that ended around 2010 with the financial crisis and what we call now polyglobalization. Mm -hmm. So you have several initiatives in cooperation. You have uh, initiatives in the US and in Europe, in China, and also in the regions, there are you know, initiatives mm -hmm. for cooperation. And I think that that is a good thing. You know, we need, you know, this, a polyglobalization means that there is competition also in terms of doing better cooperation. <laughs> That's a good result. What we don't want to see is fragmentation. Yeah. <laughs> and that is a different thing. Fragmentation so, and zero sum. And, and a zero sum game. That will be bad for everybody. I noticed that your organization recently put out a report about the so-called commodity traps for the developing economies, mm -hmm. especially with the global supply chain adjustments mm -hmm. and the value chain changes. So how do you see developing countries can tackle this with their strength rather with their weakness? Let me first say that most of the least developed countries mm -hmm. 
The small island developing states, the long lag countries, are, depend are commodity dependent. And they are vulnerable economies. Right. So the problem is not to have the raw materials. Mm. The problem is not to do something with them. <laughs> mm. And so it's not to have the commodities the problem. The problem is how you add value. Because you won't generate the quality jobs that the new generations are asking for only by extracting raw materials. You need to add value. And now we think that it, it is a good a, a, a way to start because you have the power of negotiation. Because you have critical material, for example, for the energy transition, for the batteries, for the electric cars, for the renewable energy. So, for example, Africa. Africa has is the reservoir of the important materials for the energy transition. So what we are say, saying is, first, negotiate better your contracts. <laughs> you know, you have the power to negotiate. So be a, be be a better negotiator. Second, add value. Because if you add value, you will have the diversification, the resilience, and the jobs for the people and for your young people. Africa is the continent of the young. Cooperation is the key, isn't it? Uh, we have seen in the implementation of SDGs, for example, how to achieve the goals. As you said, only 15% being achieved so far away from it, the ultimate goal. So what do you think are some of the things we really need to work on right now? First of all, investment has to go to the SDG sectors. According to our numbers, the gap for financing the SDGs has grown from 2.5 trillion per year in 2015 to 4 trillion in 2023. So how are we going to close that gap? Internal resource mobilization, you were talking about domestic, yeah. you know, the domestic policies. It's important, but it won't be enough. So we need two more things. We need scale up the investment of the private sector in these countries and in the SDG sectors, but also we need the multilateral development banks to come at scale to be able to invest in the SDGs. That's very impressive. How do you see the upcoming APEC? Many believe it is going to be a golden opportunity for important stakeholders of the world to come together and showcase to the rest of the world that they can and they will talk to each other and be able to work on common goals for humanity. What do you see, you know, CIIE, uh, Hongqiao, a forum and many other events leading up to APEC likely to play a constructive role in fostering those conversations? Well, first of all, I don't think that, a, you know, whatever we want to happen, it won't happen automatically. No. We will have to work for it. And that's why I think that CIIE is so important, that the Hongqiao Forum is so important, because we need to bring the world together 
to have a voice in a constructive direction, a constructive agenda. As I said before, obviously there are competing poles in the world. That's okay, as long as we have at the same time collaboration, coordination, and cooperation. And if we have these three C's, <laughs> competition will be a good thing, not a bad thing. But if we have a manichaeist, you know, a narrative, the goods against the bads, <laughs> then we will have a fragmented world and we all will lose. So APEC, CIAE, Hong Kiao are all opportunities for us to come together, for, to learn from each other, to understand the world we live in is a construction of what we do. Ms. Greenspan, it's always a great pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you, thank you so much. Rebecca Greenspan from ANCTAC, an organization of the United Nations. That's all the time we have for today. I'm Tian Wei, bye for now.